There is no such thing as a drug that has no side effects. When looking at infomercials, we often see them advertising some drug. At the end of the commercial, we often hear in a very fast voice the side effects that they by law have to tell you come along with taking the drug. I sometimes hear the side effects and wonder if it's worth taking the drug. In this episode of Groundwork, we will see that sin always has negative side effects and consequences, and we will also see a God who addresses these things through the prophet Ezekiel. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we have begun a five-part series on the book of Ezekiel. We started a five-part series, and this is episode two of that. And in the first episode, we talked about the magnificent vision that Ezekiel got from God and that the message that he was supposed to receive, he was actually mind blown and overwhelmed by. Yep. And now in this episode, we're going to see that he doesn't say a lot in the next chapters either, but what he does do is he acts out a lot of stuff. He speaks through a series of, frankly, very odd actions that God asks him to do. You know, Daryl, the, the prophets had to do weird things sometimes. I think, uh, was it Hosea who was asked to marry a prostitute? Yep, but at one Gomer. point, he also was told to strip naked and howl like a jackal. Jeremiah was once told to bury his underwear for some reason. So prophets were sometimes asked to do odd things. But Ezekiel, he takes the cake. Yeah, because most of the messages that are in the first part of this book, he literally gives a visual sign to Israel on what the word is. And so we see here in chapter four where God is speaking to him. He tells him exactly what to do. And Ezekiel obeys it. It says, now, son of man, take a block of clay and put it in front of you and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it. Erect siege works against it, build a ramp up to it, set up camps against it, and put battering rams around it. Then take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face towards it. It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the people of Israel. Then lie on your left side and put the sin of the people of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. And after you finish this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the people of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days, a day for each year. Turn your face toward the siege of Jerusalem and with bared arm prophesy against her. I will tie you up with rope so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have finished the days of your siege. Israel has gone so far down the road of rebellion that God is literally pulling out all the stops to get them to understand the radical seriousness of their sin and what will happen because of it. We've been saying Israel, and we also interchange it with Judah because Israel is the blanket term for every one of the believers that were under God's covenant. But Judah is specifically the region in which Ezekiel was called to. And at the fall of 586 BC, when Babylon takes over, it happens right in the middle of Ezekiel's service of ministry to God. So don't be surprised if you hear us interchanging Israel and Judah during the whole conversation. 
And clearly Jerusalem is at the center of this task. So we know uh, Jerusalem was the capital of the unified Israel under David and Solomon and then remained the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. But what a strange thing. I mean, I, I, when I read this passage, I think if only Ezekiel had, had Legos, you know, I mean, he could have done this whole thing with Legos because it looks like a kid playing with Legos. Oh, draw right. a city and then build little siege ramps and then put an iron pan. It's all very, very odd. And you know, the text says he did it, so I, I guess we'll take it seriously, literally. But this meant that he laid there for over a year. Right. I mean, if, if he literally, if the, unless these numbers are symbolic and, you know, but otherwise, for 390 days and then 40 more days, so 430 days, yep. he was supposed to lay on his left side and his right side is a symbol of sin. I mean, you almost have to wonder, did this message get through to anybody? Is anybody going to pay attention to somebody laying in front of his Lego set for a year? Very, very, very odd way to get things done. But it shows the seriousness with which God has been tracking the sin of all of Israel. 430 days for 430 years of captivity. And a lot of people might wonder, is God taking it too far? Well, I look at it this way, Scott, that God is the creator of all things and he loves all that he created. And it was a relationship with the people where he would be their God and they would be his people. And that it would be a wonderful relationship, but then they failed to keep the promise of the covenant that they said they would keep in Deuteronomy. And the idea is very simple. If you obey, you're blessed. And if you disobey, you're cursed. And all these nations will come in and draw you into exile. That's literally in Deuteronomy 28. And they broke the covenant when they disobeyed. And now God is saying, hey, you brought these, actually these actions on yourself. There are consequences for sin. And because God is holy, he must judge it. And it's really heartbreaking because it could have went another way if the people made better decisions. But it also shows the limitations of our own humanity. We can't be perfect. We can't do it perfectly in any way. So it's really sad, but God has to address this because he's holy. You use the term heartbreaking. And I think that's just right, Daryl, because in the Bible, God is never, ever a fundamentally angry God. That is not, I mean, there were some Greek gods and some Roman gods right. who were just angry. You know, what's, what's Zeus like? Oh, he's angry. Yeah, he's hacked off all the time, throwing lightning bolts. That's not the God of Israel or the God and Father right. of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he is, as you said, he's holy and he's loving. And he can't let injustice go. He can't let sin and evil go. He can't just bat it away as like it's no big deal, like it's just an annoying little mosquito. No, he's heartbroken over this. And that reminds me, too, of the story of Noah and the ark, Daryl, in Genesis. Yeah. You know, not once in the Genesis flood story is God said to be angered. You know what it says? He's grieved. Yeah. He was grieved that people had gone this far from his intentions. And that's what you get with Israel. He's grieved. His anger is love offended. Right. Holiness offended. It's really powerful that you mention that because God has entered into this suffering relationship with his people. And he does all he can to communicate to them that they've sinned. And he uses Ezekiel as that message. He demonstrates the message and he continues to walk it out visually. But in just a minute, we're going to get into another section where God communicates through Ezekiel. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. 
Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And we're looking in this program, Daryl, at the fact that Ezekiel doesn't have a lot to say uh, initially in this book, but he has a lot to do. And we just saw the rather odd task uh, that Ezekiel in chapter 4 had to build a little model of Jerusalem and then pretend like he's laying siege to it, and then he had to lay next to it for about a year to symbolize the sins of the people of Israel. So that was odd, but wait. There's more, as they say on TV. Let's jump to Ezekiel chapter 5. Now, son of man, take a sharp sword and use it as a barber's razor to shave your head and your beard. Then take a set of scales and divide up the hair. When the days of your siege come to an end, burn a third of the hair inside the city. Take a third and strike it with the sword all around the city and scatter a third to the wind, for I will pursue them with drawn sword. But take a few hairs and tuck them away in the folds of your garment. Again, take a few of these and throw them into the fire and burn them up. A fire was spread there to all Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the center of the nations, with countries all around her. Yet in her wickedness, she has rebelled against my laws and decrees more than the nations and countries around her. She has rejected my laws and not followed my decrees. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You have been more unruly than the nations around you and have not followed my decrees or kept my laws. You have not even conformed to the standards of the nations around you. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself am against you, Jerusalem, and I will inflict punishment on you in the sight of the nations. So now, Daryl, we've gone from this little model of the city to kind of a barbershop, and we've got hair uh, divided into thirds, and we're burning some, we're scattering some, we're smashing some, and we're saving some, again, if you lived next door to Ezekiel, you'd have to wonder who this guy was. It would be a little strange if you've seen a different scene every day, uh, something different that he was doing. All of this is to illustrate one point that God is outraged by the actions of his people. Just picture it as a marital situation where one spouse has been unfaithful and mm-hmm. then the other spouse becomes heartbroken, angry, jealous, frustrated, disappointed, sad, grieving. That is what is happening in God's heart. And this is the holy God that is going to have to do something to restore his people because they literally can't stop themselves. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit, too, that they're even in this odd haircut scene. The fact that God tells him to save a few hairs. That's grace. That's grace. There's going to be a remnant. That's a little hint. God's not going to make a big deal of that here. This is mostly a judgment passage. But there is that little bit of grace that not all the hair is going to get burned and scattered to the four winds. There will be a remnant. But what's interesting here, Daryl, is what God says, that God says, you are the chosen people. You were supposed to do it better than anybody, and not only did you not do it better, 
you've actually been worse than some of the nations around you. There are some of the nations around you who don't know me, who was not my chosen nation, and they treat their poor better than you do. So it's a double whammy here. I mean, not only did you not live up to who I wanted you to be as a chosen people, you were worse than some of the unchosen ones. And the actions that they have are really appalling to God for that reason. They were supposed to be a light to the nations that the salvation reaches mm. the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah 49. But it reminds me also of Star Wars Episode 3 when Obi-Wan Kenobi shouts to Anakin, you were the chosen one. You were supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them. And we see the people of Israel going further than the people who do not know God as if they don't know God. And they're leading the people in the wrong direction. And that is what literally breaks God's heart and frustrates him and the way Ezekiel displays these messages they literally cannot be ignored by the people because he's doing them in the public square he's doing them in front of them and their actions and sins have been public so Ezekiel's message is public exactly and you probably made a lot of Star Wars fans happy there uh, with that <laughs> reference. But right, in that saga, the, the chosen one, they thought he was going to help. But in the end, he makes things worse because he joins the enemy. And that's sort of what God says here. You, As you just said, you were to be my beachhead, right? That's what he said to Abraham way back yeah. in Genesis 12. I'm going to start with you so that through you, I can save everybody else. And now God says, this isn't working. I'm not going to be able to save anybody through you because you're worse than some of the other people. You may as well have joined the enemy because uh, this isn't working at all. And again, as we said in the previous segment, it's divine heartbreak, it's grief. Even for God, a level, I think, Daryl, I mean, we sometimes think God can't be surprised, but yet there is a sense of God, even God is surprised at how bad they've turned out to be. I never really thought about how Ezekiel might have felt about all of this. I mean, we yeah. see that he obeys God and everything that he does. But there's a place where he does protest when God asks him to use human excrement for fuel to cook his food, and he protests. But then other than that, he literally does what God tells him to do, and it's a really a situation where he wants to be obedient, but he wanted to show how disgusting those actions were to him in his sight as far as holiness of the character of God, when God sees Israel sinning, it's disgusting to him like that uh, visual aid that he was going to give him to do. And I've also noticed too, Scott, that there are people who glamorize prophecy and prophets and prophetesses in the, in the world that I live in. There are people who want those monikers, those titles, but if they saw all the things and they were called to do the things Ezekiel said were called to do, then I don't think they'd be running to the popularity. They think it's fame. They think it's status, right. but it is not. That is a complete opposite for Ezekiel. Yep. You, you shoot the messenger, uh, right? All through history, we've shot the messengers. And that's what Jesus is going to say. You know, when Jesus comes later, he'll give that, that one parable about the tenants in the vineyard, you know, that I kept sending you prophets and you kept killing them. And eventually you killed the son when I sent my own son, uh, which is Jesus himself. The prophets were always roughed up. It's like Elijah. You know, Elijah in his day spoke the truth. Right. And what did King Ahab call him? The troubler, the troubler of, Israel. of Israel. We blame you. But this is what God said that we looked at in the previous program, Daryl, in chapter two and three, God said, look, Israel is a rebellious house, a rebellious house. Where we said it was like a broken record. Did I mention they're rebellious? Right. They're not going to listen. And indeed, they didn't any more than ultimately we did when Jesus himself finally came. After all the prophets were rejected, finally God sent the Son. 
and the religious establishment didn't listen to him either. But we do want to talk a little bit more about this whole prospect of, of the exile. The people have already been sort of exiled from their, their, their home cities, but they're going to have more exile to come. So we want to look at that message, but also how some hope gets in there. So we'll wrap up the program with that in just a moment. Stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you've been listening to Groundwork. And Scott, we have been looking at how God has used Ezekiel as a visual aid to get his word across to the people. And he's done that in a public fashion where everyone can see it because for years they have been rebelling and not following God's law. And they've done that in a very public way and influenced the other nations around them negatively. And Ezekiel is showing that God is not happy about it. We're not going to go into this, but there are other chapters that are in between the chapters that we studied just before, chapters four and five. But there's more of these words and there's more of these uh, prophecies where God is saying, hey, you need to do this. You need to do that. And, and Ezekiel has to follow it. And then chapter seven has a actual word that he wants him to say against the people. Right. Well, yeah, because we're going to jump ahead to chapter 12. We should say that Ezekiel is a very big book. So even though we got a five part series here on Groundwork, we're, we're not going to be able to hit everything. And we encourage you to read those intervening chapters to see what else God asked Ezekiel to do. But let's Let's jump ahead now to chapter 12, where Ezekiel once again has an acted out message, almost an acted out parable that he has to perform before the people. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but do not see and ears to hear, but do not hear for they are a rebellious people. Therefore, son of man, pack your belongings for exile and in the daytime as they watch, set out and go from where you are to another place. Perhaps they will understand, though they are a rebellious people <laughs> during the daytime while they watch, bring out your belongings packed for exile. Then in the evening, while they are watching, go out like those who go into exile while they watch, dig through the wall and take your belongings out through it. Put them on your shoulder as they were watching and carry them out at dusk. Cover your face so that you cannot see the land, for I have made you a sign to the Israelites. So I did as I was commanded. During the day, I brought out my things, packed for exile. Then in the evening, I dug through the wall with my hands and I took my belongings out at dusk, carrying them on my shoulders as they watched. And in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, did not the Israelites, that rebellious people, ask you, what are you doing? Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This prophecy concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the Israelites who are there. Say to them, I am assigned to you. As I have done, so it will be done to them. They will go into exile as captives. So Ezekiel, uh, they're already a captive people. They're already de facto exiled, but they're not totally in Babylon uh, at this point. And so he is symbolizing that, guess what, people of Israel? 
a road trip is coming and not a good one. Right. So pack your stuff because we're going into exile. And the visual image of him packing was not the news Judah wanted to hear. Nope. Because we're the people of God. Remember, we, we're his chosen people. There's, nothing's going to happen to us. But they didn't realize that there are consequences for those sinful actions. They didn't believe it until it actually happened. Isn't it interesting, Scott, that we don't always believe there are consequences for our actions? I mean, we just think that sometimes God will just overlook things and not judge it or not pay attention. But we do serve a God who's paying attention to those things. And Israel, unfortunately, had decades, centuries, centuries. really, of practice in self-deception, uh, in saying, God doesn't see, he can't see us, uh, he's not watching. Uh, and anyway, as long as we go to the temple on the Sabbath and sing our songs, all's forgiven, right? Just show up to the temple and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, yeehaw, right. praise God, and now tomorrow we can go back to our shady business and he won't notice. They were well practiced in the arts of self-deception, but God can't let that go because God is not deceived. God is not mocked, right. as Paul will say in the New Testament. And God is holy. This is what he said already in Leviticus, why the, all those careful preparations for the temple and the camp, a holy God can't stick around with an unholy people. It's just impossible. And that is the attribute that Isaiah, in his call, illuminates with the angels. They're crying, holy, holy, holy. They're not crying righteous. They're not crying loving. They're not crying gracious. They're crying holy. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that is repeated in the scripture means that that is a very important character of God. And he sees sin. He sees blemish. He sees that. And he has to judge it. That's his call. That's his character. If we had a bad judge, then we would see, okay, he overlooked it. But we consider a judge a good judge because they do their job. And his job is to judge sin. But the second thing is that he is a loving guy. You mentioned this earlier, Scott, where he enters into a suffering relationship with mm. his people. He knows it's going to cost him. He knows it's going to take one on the chin, but he still does it because he loves his people. He enters into covenant with them knowing they're going to break it. And he ultimately, because God so loved the world, to quote a verse that most of us know, he will send his only son to rescue us ultimately from the very degradation and unholiness that Israel represented. And that runs through all of our hearts, unfortunately. We all need that Redeemer. And because I think, you know, they're all, so the people are going to go into exile. But there's a sense in which we're all in exile, right? We, oh, yeah. None of us are home. Right. You know, in the, in the Heidelberg Catechism, the first section of the Heidelberg Catechism, a reform document, is called misery. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't feel miserable, even people who aren't Christian, who aren't believers. Ah, they don't feel miserable, but the Catechism says they are. But in the original German, that section is titled Elent, which is from the Latin ex land. Exiles. Okay. So you can be miserable without knowing it because you're, you're living apart from God. You're exiled from God. And that is our core problem as sinful human beings. I think that's the definition of being lost. You don't know where you are. And you don't know how far from home you are. Mm -hmm. And the world is broken because it offers these false promises of identity, of status, of worth, mm -hmm. of a purpose that never fully delivers, Scott. And it's really disappointing if you'd spend your whole life climbing the corporate ladder and you realize there's nothing up there mm -hmm. um, that's going to be ultimately eternally fulfilling for you. Even those that those things can be good deeds, they false promise. And that's the issue with exile. You're never going to get it from the pleasures. You're never going to get it from the party, the sex, the drugs, any of those things. And we kind of know 
that, but we still pursue them anyway, thinking that we got to have some hope, but it's not a real hope. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God, the famous uh, theologian St. Augustine once said. Because, yeah, they're all right. People grasp for all those things because somewhere deep down they do know they're not quite home. They're not quite where they need to be. That's the message of Ezekiel for Israel. Uh, Ultimately, he says, you are far from God. But as we'll see in future programs on this, God's not going to leave it at that. God is going to promise a way home. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we study the departure of God's glory and the consequences of Israel's rebellion in Ezekiel chapters 10 and 11. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 